We are um, about five or six minutes better this week than we were last week, so that's a good thing. Try to try to get here a minute or two earlier than you have been, and then say your memory work, and that would be awesome. Sermon outline sheets go up on the desk. As several of you have heard, there's extra of everything in that bin. Sermon outlines, there's always extra sheets on the information booth at church as well. So let's do uh, church and Sunday school for last Sunday, and uh, then we'll get going. Adelaide. Both. Clark. Both. Chloe. Which one? Bauer. What's that? Does a wedding count? No. What is a church service? That's crazy. It's not our church. It's not our church. Neither. 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 Chloe, with a C. Adeline. Boy Hayden. Cade. Cole. Colson. Caden. Ella. You're going to have to answer all the questions by yourself. Is she breathing? Huh? Is she breathing? Yeah, she's breathing. She's going to have to answer all the questions by herself unless you guys start coming to church. We went on Wednesday. Huh? What did you say? All right. Okay, let's... Uh, Let's do a little review. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Apostles' Creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Maker, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That was weak, folks, I tell you. Uh, Ten Commandments. First Commandment, you shall have no other gods. Second Commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Third Commandment, 
Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Fourth commandment. Honor your father and mother. Fifth commandment. You shall not murder. Sixth commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Seventh commandment. You shall not steal. Eighth commandment. You shall not Ninth commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Tenth commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maid servant. That was better. That was better. Okay. Uh, Lord's Prayer, Apostles Creed, Ten Commandments. That should be daily routine. Luther's morning prayer, Luther's evening prayer. Those are the things that are in um you know, part one, step one of our catechism memory work program. So that's the basics. That's the ABCs. Everything else is built upon that. I asked you to uh, read a few pages in the uh, catechism for preparation for tonight. The tw first 12 questions, in fact. If you did it, great. If you didn't, shame on you. These are the um, confirmation questioning questions. Hang on to these sheets. Fill them out as we go. We will pretty much use them every week, so bring them with you. Catechism 2. If you have your sheets from last year, I would prefer if you fill them out again and anew this year. The more you write it down, the more you review it. You. Repetition is the mother of learning. The first few questions the first few questions on our questioning sheet are what you are supposed to have read and reviewed in uh, the catechism for your prep for tonight. So let's go through these. What are the three ways we know God exists? Let's see who remembers this from last year. Colson. Caden. Yes, nature. Conscience. Bible. These are the three ways we know that there is some kind of a God. You look outside. Well, if you look out this window, all you can see is a tree. There's clouds, there's sky, there's grass, there's people, there's bugs, there's birds. It just didn't happen. Somebody or something had to put it there. So there is some higher being. Nature testifies to that. Your conscience, that voice inside your head that says, don't do that. Or, yeah, go ahead. You won't get caught. 
that conscience, that voice inside your head tells you that there is someone or something that you're answerable to. Nature and conscience are called the natural knowledge of God. It's natural because everybody's got it. Everybody has a conscience. Everybody can look at nature. The third way that we know God exists is the Bible. This is called revealed knowledge. Revealed knowledge because you don't know it naturally. God revealed it to you. Um, let's say, oh Maya, you're you're you got you got a big acting family, right? Okay, on the stage kind of stuff. Yes, of course you do. All right. So when you go to a production, many times, maybe not always, but many times, there's a curtain in front of the stage. And you can hear stuff going on behind the curtain. Maybe you can hear footsteps. Maybe you can hear things being moved. But you can't tell what it is. You know something's going on. And then the curtain is open. Or the curtain is open. And all of a sudden you can see what's going on. The stage or the set has been revealed to you. This is what God does. He reveals to us knowledge. Not all knowledge. Our brains couldn't handle it. He reveals to us everything we need to know. So all three of these testify that God exists. But only one of them gives you the details and the specifics of who God actually is. And that's the Bible. That's why the Bible is the most important. You can't look at nature and figure out how to get to heaven. You might think, huh, that tree's not very tall. I'll bet there are taller trees. I'll bet if I find the tallest tree in the whole world and crawl to the top of that tree, I can get to heaven. That would be something that you could think about in nature. Or um, my conscience. If I can tell my conscience not to ever think of a bad thought ever again as long as I live, maybe I, I can get to heaven. So that would be reasonable. It, impossible, but reasonable. The Bible is the most important because... It tells us who God is and how to get to heaven. It tells us who God is and how to get to heaven. We'll take a little sidebar here. Who is God? God is triune. Uh, Hayden, what does that mean? Uh, three triune. In three in one. Three in one. 
One God in three persons, three persons in one God. Triune. The three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not three gods, but one God. The word triune or trinity does not appear in the Bible. It's a word we made up to teach what the Bible clearly teaches. Sam, I bet when you were little, you rode a tricycle. Like what, three, four weeks ago? No, probably longer ago than that. Yes. How many wheels were on the tricycle? Three. Three. Anybody ever played the card game Uno? How many cards do you have left in your hand when you holler Uno? Chloe. One. 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 Three and one. Three in one. Okay. How to get to heaven? We don't climb a ladder. We don't work our way there. We don't do anything. If you want to do something to get to heaven, you're 2,000 years too late. It's already been done. Your Bible passage for tonight. Jesus said, Who is the way, the truth, and the life? He. He said, I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. When he said, I am, that's an Old Testament way of saying God. Yahweh. I am. He was claiming to be God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father or goes to heaven except through Jesus. Now, that can be kind of painful to think about. There are lots of really nice people who don't believe in Jesus. There are lots of really nice people who are Jews or Muslims or Buddhists or even atheists. Nowhere in the Bible does it say all nice people go to heaven. So rather than whine and complain, about how, well, that's not fair. Only Christians go to heaven. That's sometimes what we do. Rather, it should be, well, if you can't get to heaven without Jesus, we should tell more people about Jesus. See the difference? God's word is clear. Jesus says it. That's our Bible passage for tonight. Now, you might say, oh man, it's still not fair. You know, what about those who haven't heard? What about you? Your second Bible passage for tonight. For God so loved the world. Jesus died for the world. All people, all time, all sin. There is not a person, there is not a sin, there is not a time era that Jesus did not pay for that sin. 
all sin, all people, all time. Well, like what about the people before Jesus was born? Yes, them too. What about the people that aren't born yet? Yes, them too. What about like the, the mass murderers and the rapists? Yes, them too. All people, all sin, all time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him. We'll talk about this more when we get to the second article of the Creed and we talk about the difference between objective and subjective justification. But I'll give you a little hint right now. If you die at birth, do you go to heaven? If you die at birth, do you go to heaven? Well, I'd hate to tell you this, Caden, but you know, if I had a dollar for every time somebody asked me a question like that, I'd have been retired about three years ago. Did Jesus pay for the sins of the whole world? Yes. Did Jesus pay for that sin of that baby who died at birth? Yes. How do we know if that baby had faith? Jesus. How do we know if that baby had faith? Baptism. baptism. Because God gives faith in baptism. So if that baby was baptized, we would say absolutely 100%. If that baby is unbaptized, we would say, you know, we just can't know for sure. Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world. We're just going to commit that baby to the mercy of God. Yeah. I wish I had a better answer for you, but that's the only one I got. Okay, let's get back to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Okay, it works like this. Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world. All sin, all people, all time. But the only people who get any benefit out of what Jesus did are those who believe it. Objective justification, subjective justification. That's the difference. We'll unpack that more um, in six or eight weeks. So, think of it this way. Uh, and we got a ways, uh, ways before Thanksgiving, but think of Thanksgiving meal. Okay? Got a big, fancy Thanksgiving dinner at the Moline house. All the favorites. Roast duck, duck eggs, yeah, mostly, most people would have turkey and dressing and sweet potatoes and pumpkin pie. Did he shoot one of the two ducks from a few weeks ago? There you go. So that's why I said it. That's why I said it. Okay, so you got this big Thanksgiving meal. Your mom, your grandma, whoever cooks, has been cooking for hours and hours and hours. And you are sitting in the living room watching football. Or watching the Thanksgiving Day Parade, if you would rather. And the table is set. And the meal is out there. And you can smell it. Ah. 
How much good, how much good does smelling that food do for you nutritionally? Braxton. Nothing. None. None. What do you got to do? You got to eat it. You got to eat it. It's that simple. Jesus has paid for the sins of the whole world. But if you don't believe that what he did for the whole world, he did for you, doesn't do you any good. Doesn't do you any good. That's the best way that I can explain it. Okay? All right. That's how you get to heaven. Jesus. Okay. Now, the two main teachings of the Bible, we talked about... Got a question, Sam? Oh, you just want to answer. The two main question, uh, teachings of the Bible, we talked about last week when we talked about filling out your sermon outlines. Law and gospel are the two main teachings of the Bible. The two main teachings of the Old Testament are law and gospel, because it's in the Bible. The two main teachings of the New Testament are law and gospel, because it's in the Bible. What about that goofy little book, Obadiah? It's only 21 verses. The two main teachings of Obadiah are okay, you got it. You got it. Vickers preaching tonight. You better be able to hear the two main teachings of the Bible passage he's preaching on. Which are? All right. All right. By golly, I think we've got it. So, as we talked about last week, the law, SOS, shows our sins. The gospel, SOS, shows our Savior. Any questions to this point? All right. Now, we want to talk a little bit more specifically about the law because we got to work our way up to the Ten Commandments. Cade, how did God originally give the law to his people? Let me give you a hint. He wrote it on their hearts. He wrote it on their hearts. God originally gave the law to his people by writing it on their hearts. You know what we call that, Clark? We call that a conscience. Yes, that's what your conscience is, the law written on your heart. Unfortunately, because sin is in the world now, you can't trust your conscience. Sometimes it lies to you. It's tainted with sin. Later on, God wrote down his law. Cole... 
Yes. What do we call the law he wrote down? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. He wrote down the law. God calls it the Ten Words. We just translate that to Ten Commandments. The Ten Words, the Ten Commandments. And to what human being? Abigail, to what human being did God give the Ten Commandments? You remember? No. About 3,000 years earlier, Sam, Sam, I am. Moses. 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 If you ever get a chance to watch the old, uh, the old movie from about 1956 or 7, uh, The Ten Commandments, there's a lady in, there, in that movie that when, whenever Moses walks by, she goes, Moses, Moses. Yeah, you had to see the movie, I guess. Okay, he gave it to, he gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. Where did this take place, Kark? Mount Sinai. Not Mount Sinus, but Mount Sinai. That's how you can remember it. Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. It happened in real time at a real place. God really gave the Ten Commandments, and the Bible says they are written with the finger of God. God wrote them out, gave them to, uh, and in that movie, again, that old movie from the 50s, um, they have like, like a bolt of fire coming out of a cloud writing the Ten Commandments. It's like, for, for 1950s uh, special effects, it's like way cool. S-I-N-A-I. Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. All right. Any questions on your questioning questions one through eight? I think there's a whole basket of them in the back. I don't know if any of that works. Would have been nice if you'd have said something before we got to question nine. <sighs> buy them books and buy them books. And all they do is color the pictures. It's an old saying. I don't know many new sayings. I only know old sayings. All right. Now we want to talk a little bit about the Bible. Remember we said there's three ways we know God exists. Nature, conscience, Bible. We are a Bible Believing church. Every Christian church has the Bible. Some churches don't believe 
that all of it is true. Some churches just kind of like pick and choose which things they want to teach or believe. That's not us. A true Lutheran church, and some churches that call themselves Lutherans uh, aren't very truly Lutheran. A true Lutheran church believes that the Bible is the Word of God. Now, we're going to talk about why. The next question asks about the word inspiration. Inspiration. Ella, what does the word inspiration mean? Yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful definition of inspiration. Do you remember what the word inspiration means? Real simple. Let me give you a hint. God breathed. God breathed. Now, Ella gave us the, the, the explanation for what that means or what that has to do with the Bible. The word inspiration means God breathed. God breathed out the words. And he breathed out the words into human beings. And he told the human beings to write all these words down that he was breathing into them. And so they didn't make any mistakes. The Holy Spirit was completely in control of this whole process of inspiration. There's a Bible passage. You haven't gotten to it yet in your memory work. You will soon. There's a Bible passage that teaches this very clearly. I didn't make it up. Martin Luther didn't make it up. Vicar Goodroad didn't make it up. Do you remember it? Okay. Yeah. Let me have it. 2 Peter 1.21. Correct. For no prophecy, meaning the Word of God in the Bible, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. In other words, people didn't just think it up. It's like, ooh, ooh, I got a story. Ooh, ooh. No. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was in charge of the whole process. Our definition for inspiration comes from that verse. The word in, uh, inspired comes from a different verse, 2 Timothy 3.16. Okay. The next word there is inerrant. Inerrant. Hayden, when you are playing baseball or when you are playing softball, And the batter hits the ball to you. And instead of going in your glove, it goes right between your legs. What do we call that? What does the scorekeeper put down in the book? An error. An error. An error. 
when you have the prefix in, I-N, in front of a word, it usually means not or no or without. So, based on that explanation, Maya, what do you think the word inerrant means? Ah, uh, that would just be error, errant. If the quarterback throws a pass over the receiver's head, that would be an errant pass. So if the prefix in means no or not or without. Good. Say it again. Something good. Okay, we're getting closer. We're getting closer. Colson. Without error. No error, not error, without error. Without error. No mistakes. No mistakes. So, when you are reading the Bible. Knowing that it comes from God who cannot lie. Knowing that it teaches us about Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can be sure that every word of the Bible is true without error. Now, you can have any book or a paper be inerrant. If somebody goes through one of your school textbooks, let's say a mathematics textbook, and in the mathematics textbook, somebody proofread it perfectly, you could have a textbook without error. You could have a grocery list that your mom made before she went to the grocery store where she remembered everything that you needed and there were no spelling mistakes on the list. You could say that's, that's inerrant. It's without error. So there's lots of things potentially that can be without error. Why this is important is because some people attack the Bible. And they go, oh, that book, it's full of mistakes, it's full of errors. God's word is clear. The word itself testifies to the fact that it's the truth. Why that's important? So you can have confidence that when you are studying about who God is and how to get to heaven, remember, when you are studying law and gospel, the two main teachings of the Bible, that you know you're studying the truth. If you decided that you wanted to study Charlotte's Web, everybody know the book Charlotte's Web? Yeah. yeah. 
About the pig and the spider? Yeah. Why is that funny? Isn't it about a pig and a spider? He put it very plainly. Yeah, okay. So you got a pig and a spider. If I said, I'm going to study the book Charlotte's Web and figure out how to get to heaven. <laughs> what? How would that go? Salutations! Read the Bible, man. <laughs> there you go. You can have a lot of fun. You can have a lot of enjoyment. Maybe even shed a tear over the book, Charlotte's Web. But it's not going to tell you how to get to heaven. Even if you had a perfect copy of Charlotte's Web where there were no typos and no errors. Just because a book is inerrant doesn't mean that it'll get you to heaven. But the Bible is inerrant and that's important for us to know and to believe. Comes from God. God can't lie. The Bible is inerrant. Okay. Let's see if we can get a few more of these done. All right. We already talked about who the one true God is. The Holy Trinity or the triune God. Three persons of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's just real quickly, we'll unpack this when we get to the Apostles' Creed. The two jobs that we ascribe to God the Father. Creation. Preservation. The job that we ascribe to God the Son. Justification. The job that we ascribe to God the Holy Spirit. Sanctification. Any questions on, uh, we've been through question 15 on your um, questioning question sheet. Anybody have any questions about that? All right. Let's go very quickly. Open up your Bibles. Exodus 20. Second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. Exodus 20. All right. Follow along. Exodus 20. I'm going to give you the Pastor Poppy running commentary in seven minutes. And God spoke all these words saying, you might have a little bit of a subtitle above Exodus 20 in your translation. 
that should say something like the Ten Commandments. All right. Verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Notice that the first word coming out of God's mouth, even here in Exodus 20, is a word of deliverance, a word of salvation. You might even say a word of gospel. Remember who I am. I just saved your skin, man. You were in slavery. And I rescued you. You were going to die at the Red Sea. I brought you through on dry ground. You remember all those stories, right? Yeah, of course, they're true. So, remember who I am. And again, notice how it starts out. I am. I am. So, now we get into how we number the commandments. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Literally, that says, you shall have no other gods in my face. Nobody likes it when somebody gets in their face. When we have a false god, it is like taking that false god and sticking it right in God's face. You don't like it? Hate unlike it. Okay, now we have kind of an explanation of the first commandment. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. I'm going to stop right there. That is teaching us what a false idol is. The catechism tells us the meaning to the first commandment. You should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. I like to say you should fear, love, and trust in God above all nouns. Nouns. Think the English class. What's a noun? A person, a place, a thing, sometimes an idea. All of those things can be false gods. Persons, places, things, ideas. For some people, money is their god. For other people, their home is their god. For other people, a movie star or a sports athlete is their god. For some people, it's the idea of being rich and famous someday. See see how that works? Any person, any place, any thought, any idea can become a false god. Even good things. That's because of sin. All right. Now, midway through verse 5. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You ever wonder where we get the words to the close of the commandments in the catechism. comes from right here. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. When we think of somebody being jealous, we think of something bad or something negative, don't we, usually? God is jealous for you. 
he doesn't want you to have any other gods. Because he knows they're all false. He's the only true God. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity, fancy name for sin, of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. God takes sin seriously. How seriously? So seriously he sent his son to die for it. But showing steadfast love, that's the gospel word, steadfast love, to thousands of those, literally it says to the thousandth generation, never runs out, of those who love me and keep my commandments. Verse 7 you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, or as we translate it, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For God, the Lord, will not hold guiltless who takes his name in vain. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Poppy paraphrase, go to church. Go to church. And then he goes on and talks about why it is so important to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, why it is so important to go to church. Skip down to verse 12. Honor your father and mother. First commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. Uh, your days may be long in the land the Lord your God has given you. This doesn't mean everybody who dies early didn't honor their father and mother or that everybody who honors their father and mother lives to be a ripe old age. What it means is, if there is order in our society and people obey their authorities, things go pretty smoothly in our world and people tend to live longer. That's what that means. Uh, 13, uh, you shall not murder. 14, you shall not commit adultery. 15, you shall not steal. 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Six, uh, 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Then it goes on. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his ma uh, uh, male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. There are two places in the Bible where the Ten Commandments are laid out just like this. Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. If you want to see what the Bible says and how the words are of the commandments as they were given by God, that's where you go. Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. We all need to have the Ten Commandments memorized. Need to have that. We all need to either have or be working on the meanings to the Ten Commandments. Catechism 2. If you don't know the meanings to the Ten Commandments, you can't go to questioning. I'm not going to let you embarrass yourself in public. Got to know them, got to know them, got to know them. So, we all need to be working on them right now. Starting next week, that's where we're going to go. Catechism will be focusing on the first three commandments. First three commandments, 
First table of the law deals with our relationship with God. Commandments 4 through 10 deal with our relationship with other people, with our neighbor. Okay? Commandments and their meanings. Any questions? All right. Good job tonight. Let's go to church.